Grace and peace to you from God our Father and our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Our text for our sermon is the gospel history according to the evangelist Mark as recorded in chapter 6 verses 30 through 34. The apostles gathered around Jesus and reported to him all that they had done and taught. He said to them, Come away by yourselves to a secluded place and rest a while. For there were so many people coming and going that they did not even have a chance to eat. They went away in the boat to a deserted place by themselves. But many people saw them leave and knew where they were going. They ran there on foot from all the towns and arrived ahead of them. When Jesus stepped out of the boat, he saw a large crowd. His heart went out to them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. He began to teach them many things. This is the gospel history of our Lord. Last week in our sermon text, Christ had sent the 12 apostles out in groups of two, so that's six groups, to do evangelism work. And today as they arrive back and they report to him, there's a lot going on. In the time in between, while they were out, Jesus learns that John the Baptist, who'd prepared the way for him, had been beheaded. The apostles would come back and, and have things to say, like, Lord, there was this one guy, it was amazing how he embraced the word, or... Lord, there was this one gal at first, she was really resistant, and I thought she was going to be an enemy, and then like a light bulb going off, or Lord, I shook the sandals, the sand off my sandals, just as you said, why did it hurt so much? Jesus recognized after that long missionary trip and everything that they needed to be alone to give them time to rest, so they get in the boat, but the crowd that were constantly pressing on them it follows the boat on shore. In fact, as they drive through some, run through some of the little towns, they pick up people and the crowd is growing. So when Jesus gets off the boat, if he were a normal human being, you would expect him to be, oh my goodness, leave me alone. I need a break. You guys don't back off. But instead, it's interesting, the Greek word is a word that's moved in his guts. He looks out and has compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. But remember, this is the Jewish people, the descendants of Abraham. To this day, they often refer themselves as God's chosen people. Now, they were God's chosen people because they had the word and the Messiah would be born among them. But that leads us to the question today. How could God's chosen people be like sheep without a shepherd? Especially when you consider the fact that they had the temple, they had the Levitical priesthood, they had the scriptures. But let's go through all of that. You know, before the temple even was built, way back in the time of the judges, Eli, who was the high priest, his sons the, the, would, were very greedy when it came to functioning as priests and were told... When, they were, when the people presented their sacrifices to the Lord, the priests got a portion of that to sustain themselves and their family. They'd grab a meat fork and take off the T-bone steaks and stuff. They went for what was best for them, didn't care about what that offering was intended for. God obviously has them struck dead. When we get to the time right before God says, I've had enough of you people worshiping false gods, and he allows the Babylonians to come, through more than one prophet, God says... I'm tired of your offerings. And he trues out the priests. He says, you guys, you're eating off of that for your own selfishness. You should refuse to take the stuff that's infected and with broken legs and stuff. 
The priesthood had become lazy. They had stepped aside from the word of God. After that time of the judges, the Israelites asked for a king. The king was supposed to lead the people and and stay on the word of God. But time and time again, you find kings who were self-serving. They thought the people were there to serve them. And they led the people astray. It's because of that that God would take the kingdom of Judah and peel it from the hands of David's descendant Rehoboam. But then the northern kingdom, Israel, the kings themselves even set up a false worship because they didn't want them going down to Jerusalem to worship God where the temple was. God let the Assyrians take them, self-serving. The priests were supposed to come to the town and read the scriptures and stuff to the people, but lots of times they focused on other things and the people were running after false gods selfishly. And that's one of the things we have to remember. People think that Christianity is all about what happens in the end of life. You will find whenever you study cultures, most people worship a God for immediate benefits and yes, then ideas of an eternal life. And the people had chased after false God because like Baal, because God had said, you're worshiping false gods, so I'll withhold the rain. And then they worship Baal all the harder and didn't learn the lesson. They were selfish. They weren't thinking of God. And eventually, after the Babylonians are allowed to come, the people quit worshiping false gods. And when they're allowed to rebuild, the Greeks are in control. Antiochus uh, really goes after the Jewish people in Judah at this point in time. And this is when a family of priests known as the Maccabees stand up. They stand up and cling to the word of God and say, no, we're not going to succumb to you. And it's at this time because of them, although they meant very well, that the what would come to be known as the Pharisees starts to be born, if you will, because they cling to that word of God. But then they start clinging more to the law than the promised Messiah. They start ignoring the parts about God is your righteousness and they cling to their own righteousness so that by the time of Christ, you have the Pharisees who are very influential and their whole religion is actually all about you. They were very selfish. They didn't realize they weren't righteous. They didn't want to hear they weren't righteous. They said, I earn my salvation by my righteous deeds. And if you go back to that time of the Maccabees, you also find, remember I said the Greeks were in control. There's another group of people that come along. That's called the Sadducees. Under the influence of the, of the Greek philosophy, and, and the Greeks were very smart people at this time. Well, they just, had, could, they just had come to be very rational, and they just knew that God couldn't have created the world in six days, and there really couldn't be miracles, because how can you test that? And so the Sadducees denied miracles. They denied the resurrection. There were a lot of things they denied. We get modern-day Christians who deny things of the Scripture, and they think it's because science has proven it, and they're so smart. Solomon said, nothing's new underneath the sun. And the Sadducees themselves were leading the people astray because they were caught up on their own intelligence and thought they knew better than God and His Word. Now, sadly, in the time that Christ is crucified, Caiaphas, the high priest, and his father-in-law, Ananias, the, the deposed high priest, they were Sadducees. They weren't the only party, though, besides the Pharisees and the Sadducees. For example, that little community where in 1930 they discover their manuscripts of of the Qumran, they were kind of a a Jewish off-brand where they had separated themselves from society. The people that were supposed to be leading them in the word were constantly looking out for themselves. And because there was no king, uh, by the time you get to the time of Christ, you have a Sanhedrin. And they're supposed to be making sure that the people are taught the word of God and its truth and purity. And they knew, they knew by the miracles Christ did that he was from God. 
And when he raises Lazarus, that chief priest, the, the, the head of the Sanhedrin, he says, we got to kill this guy. Why? Because it was jeopardizing their livelihood, their positions. They didn't care about the word of God. Once again, it was a selfishness. But with all that negativity, all those people looking out for themselves and leading people away from the word of God, we have to remember there were those faithful people who were looking for the Messiah. Like that priest, Zechariah, who, who by the casting of lots gets to go in and offer incense on the altar of incense in the holy place. And the angel Gabriel says, you're going to give birth to the Lord's forerunner. Like Mary and Joseph, people like Simeon who would hold up Jesus Maybe their leaders were not teaching them the word of God in its truth and purity, but they would cling to those portions they were told. One last thing we want to remember. At this time in history, you didn't go to a copy machine and make the copies. If you wanted to hear the word of God, unroll the scroll of Isaiah. That thing was long, and then you had to go to that section of it. And, and so it wasn't all nice and bound up. Paper was really thick. It was papyrus or leather at this time. The priests had it. Oftentimes a good priest would go to the small towns on the Sabbath day and from memory he would recite from the scrolls and lots of times the lay people would, would memorize that. But the point here is the very ones who were supposed to be keeping the people in the word of God and leading them, they were selfish. They were putting themselves above God. They were making their own needs first. And so right before the Babylonians come through our Old Testament lesson for this Sunday, through the prophet Jeremiah in chapter 23, verse 1, God says, Woe to the shepherds who destroy and scatter the sheep of my pasture, declares the Lord. So what happens when Jesus gets off that boat and doesn't say, my, please just give me a rest? but he has compassion on those people. What does he do about it? We're told he began to teach them many things. This is where the people would find their shepherd in the word of God. And Jesus, the spokesman for the Trinity, is the word who has taken on human flesh. He shepherds them by teaching them the word of God. Now, Jesus also had just sent those apostles out on a missionary journey. When I was considerably younger, well, I still have to admit every now and then when I see a large sheep herd, it amazes me to watch a good shepherd who has good sheep dogs, how those dogs work and they know to keep those sheep near that shepherd and everything. We can call those under shepherds. And Jesus had sent the apostles out as under shepherds. We're told the apostles gathered around Jesus and reported to him all that they had done and taught. See, he sent them out to teach the word of God. And he said to them, come away by yourselves to a secluded place and rest a while. For there were so many people coming and going that they didn't even have a chance to eat. These apostles would have the word. And when Christ dies and rises, they will go out and teach the word. And they would write guys like Matthew and Mark and Peter. And they would write the word of God that would be inspired. But when God used other people like the evangelist Mark, who seems to have heard this from Peter, or the evangelist Luke, who accompanied the apostle Paul, the apostles were alive to hear it and say, yes, that is the shepherd's voice. That is the word of God. It's amazing that the last chronologically, the last uh, five books of the Bible to be written are the Gospel of John, the three epistles of John and John's revelation, the last apostle alive. So he sends them out like under shepherds. 
In fact, God had even said that in our Old Testament lesson in Jeremiah 23, verse 4. I will rise up shepherds over them who will shepherd them. They will no longer be afraid or terrified, nor will any be missing, declares the Lord. The ones who had it had abused it, and he would take it away from them. He'd give it to the apostles, the evangelists, to the New Testament church. So that answers our question. How could God's chosen people be like sheep without a shepherd? Because the ones who were supposed to lead them didn't love the word of God. They loved themselves. They went after their own things and their own desires and were selfish. God put out new shepherds. But let me make a major point to you. Being a descendant of Abraham does not make you God's chosen people. The scripture is clear that God's chosen people are those who trust in him to be their righteousness, in him to remove their sins, in him for forgiveness, in him for salvation. God's chosen people believe in the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That means you are God's chosen people. You have God's word. And I never stop to marvel and thank the Lord I remember the first time I had, been at a, I had been at a friend's funeral and was coming home three hours drive when I got a call that I had one of my sheep dying in the hospital. And because I had just got this thing called a Kindle, I had the Bible with me right there and I was able to make that call at that hospital. It amazes me when you go to hotels and thanks to Christians, Christian societies, you can open up a drawer at the nightstand and there is a Bible. It amazes me, you can go to large department stores and I have seen Bibles for $1.25. We can carry that word around. You get it for free. And that tells us something. That's the shepherd's voice. Sometimes we can get confused and need somebody to help clarify, somebody who has been trained or somebody who's been there and done that. And so every Christian is a priest in the New Testament. Some function, especially as under shepherds, through special training. But you have that word. I've had people come up to me and they've said, you're not my pastor. You're not my sheepdog, if you will. But my pastor's been teaching this thing, and, and it doesn't seem to square up with Scripture. And I have to be honest with you, sometimes it's, that's a very complex issue. And if you look at the Scripture, your pastor's standing solidly on the word of God. God bless him. But there are times I have to say, yeah. Your pastor's in the wrong. Work to get that fixed. If he's a believer, he'll be like Peter when the apostle Paul has to correct him in Antioch. But if not, run. That man is a wolf in sheep's clothing. He may even claim to love the Lord, but if he's teaching the word of God falsely and refusing to be corrected, he's just as bad as those people, those priests, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the Sanhedrin, that were all, that were all leading the people astray. Some people do. Even in the New Testament times, people enter for financial gain. They, they, they become under shepherds. They want to milk the sheep. Now, Jesus, as we learned in last week's lesson, he told the apostles when he sent them out, the gospel, the good news of salvation will provide for you. But sadly, there are those who they get into the ministry and they find an opportunity to make money. They become charlatans. They take advantage of the flock. And it's really sad. I've seen a lot of people, a lot of clergy people who enter. It's like they're on a self-help journey and they make the word of God fit what they want. Not 
not they learn the word of God and how it applies. They bend it to suit their needs, to excuse away their pet sins and things like that. These are not good shepherds, but God has made sure that you have his word. He's made you a priest. So you can say, uh, I've been reading the word. What you're teaching contradicts this. It'll come true if they ignore it. You'll see if they ignore the word, if they don't believe it's inspired or they don't understand how to work with it. But the amazing thing is, is God has given you leaders who, in, in, who stay true to the word of God. God has given you the word so you can be like the Bereans and test them. And God has even made you a priest. So when you see a brother or sister in Christ who's going astray, who needs a shepherd, you come. And when you tell them, yes, this cross you're bearing is heavy, but Christ loves you and he wouldn't allow it unless he had your good. You are the voice of Christ, the good shepherd saying, come. Come to me, my beloved sheep. And stop and think about that amazing thing. God recognizes that we need rest. He created our bodies to need rest. He didn't create them to go 24 hours a day, seven days a, work, a week, nonstop. In fact, to set an example for that, on the seventh day after creation, God, who is all-powerful, he rested. Your body needs at least eight hours of sleep. Some people need an hour or two more. Some people need an hour or two less. You are an emotional creature. You emotionally need rest, need time to, uh, in time of emotional happiness to give your body a chance to recharge. You need mental rest. But a lot of people miss, and this is the big thing. This is how the people were sheep without a shepherd that day. You need spiritual rest. And so God has given you an abundance of his word where his law shows you, you are not righteous, you are not holy, you need a savior. And the good news of, of, of salvation in Christ, that's the gospel says, so God did it for you. And he reminds you that your sins are forgiven. We have meditations that our publishing house prints. They take three minutes to do in a day. And when you do something like that or devotions or open up the word of God and read it, when you come on Sunday to gather with brothers and sisters in Christ and hear the word preached and explained and, and taught in Bible study, you are giving your soul rest and God is nourishing it as your shepherd. Make sure that you give those who clearly serve as under shepherds, as sheepdog to the Lord, their rest as well. Make sure that you give your brothers and sisters in Christ rest by proclaiming to them the good news of salvation in Christ and God's love. You are God's chosen people because you are believers. And God gives you rest, spiritual rest in his word, and he shepherds you both in the word that he had inspired and by sending people to proclaim it to you and by sending you to proclaim it to others so you get the privilege of giving them rest from the worries and anxieties and concerns of this life. Amen. And now the peace of God which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.